I'm Dave Monaco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. In this month of May, as we bring the school year and the second season of the From My Angle podcasts to a close, I'm excited to feature two episodes that offer perspectives on the complex global society. Indeed, this phrase is from our mission statement, and it is inarguable in its accuracy. The world grows more global, more dynamic, and more complicated each day, and our mission-driven challenge at Parish is to prepare students who will impact it for good. So, in my two conversations this month, we will explore two features of this complex global society, the increasing diversity that characterizes it, and the changing world of work that is emerging from it. In this edition of the From Angle podcast, I welcome Dr. Kenneth Chapman for a conversation about equipping young people with the skills they will need to navigate the increasingly global and diverse communities they will face beyond parish. Dr. Chapman serves as the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at the Price School of Business at the University of Oklahoma. In this role, Dr. Chapman has a unique perspective in that he understands two sets of expectations. First, what institutions of higher education like OU expect from incoming students when it comes to their cultural competence, and second, what the major employers who recruit from OU's business school seek and the candidates they will hire to build inclusive work communities. Parrish has benefited from Dr. Chapman's wisdom this last year as he has served on the Inclusive Community Task Force. This task force, approved by the Parrish Board of Trustees in April of 2018, has spent the last year researching best practices in diversity and inclusion programming. The task force delivered a report to the board in April of 2019 with 26 recommendations on how Parrish can live even more fully into our identity as an inclusive Episcopal community. We look forward to sharing details in this report with our constituents when we return to campus in August. For now, though, I know you will enjoy this conversation with Dr. Kenneth Chapman. Uh, Dr. Kenneth Chapman, welcome to the From My Angle podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. We're glad to glad to have you and glad to have you here at, uh, on campus again. You spent uh, a good portion of the last year with us, and we'll talk a little bit about why that is. Right. But uh, first, tell us a little bit about what you do up at the University of Oklahoma and the Price School of Business as their uh, Director of Diversity and Inclusion. Yeah, so Director of Diversity and Inclusion, uh, run all the diversity programs and initiatives uh, faculty recruitment, retention, student recruitment, retention, graduation, community outreach, uh, curriculum development, and high impact practices, and also a uh, faculty member in management international business. So working with um, teaching cultural diversity in business and business communications and uh, corporate communications as well. So Yeah, you're, and your pathway to get to this point is a fascinating one right. because you are also a preacher. Right. Your, your scholarly study, uh, your doctoral study is, uh, is in the spiritual space, though right. connected to right. inclusive practices. So tell us a little bit about your journey to become yeah. a diversity and inclusion officer. Not many people are born and raised and That's when they're true. seven years old say, I'm going to be a diversity and inclusion right. officer someday. Right. So like, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, and I don't think <laughs> many say I want to stay in it and retire. Yeah. Um, so my path, uh, so professionally, uh, was corporate banking as financial crimes analyst um, and was miserable. So I dropped out of an MBA program. I got a master's education, started learning about diversity theory and educational theory, loved it, and then went all the way through a PhD in higher education administration. 
Uh, so left banking to get in higher education, loved it ever since and found my kind of specialty area, which is uh, making students feel included and feeling belonging, a part of the institution. Mm -hmm. um, and then my research, uh, being in ministry, being bivocational, has been a religious diversity and how students arrive with some level of uh, spirituality, whether it's um, feeling good about yourself, whether it's uh, seeing the good in the world, whether it's mm -hmm. Christianity, Muslim or Buddhism, whatever it is, however it expresses itself, but that can be used as student success factors mm -hmm. um, in life because it gets some, it all has some elements of self-actualization within it. And so um, that has led me to a path to uh, at OU, which is a home for me, which I did my degrees at mm -hmm. and love OU dearly and had an opportunity to go back and serve the institution uh, to create uh, the inclusiveness that we seek for all students to be a part of. So. Yeah, going back to your doctoral work, essentially what you're saying uh, in, in, in shorthand is that it's better to be spiritually committed to something than to nothing. Uh, absolutely. Right? absolutely. Whether, it's yeah. a, whether it's a base church faith right. or some sort of purpose as right. to why you exist, right. it's better to be connected somewhere than not. Yeah, absolutely. And in you know my dissertation and in the research, uh, spirituality is often we think is defined by connected to something foundational. But spirituality is just really purpose-driven. What is your purpose? And sometimes for us, as I identify as Christian, my purpose is connected to believing God, Jesus Christ, but it may be something different for somebody else. And we should respect that because that's how they identify and that's how they find their purpose and that spiritual element provides that success factor that we need. So. Yeah, and it's I, we could have another hour-long sure, right. podcast on this yeah, topic absolutely. because it's one that's fascinating to me. Yeah. One thing that we know... Um, schools don't do ex exceedingly well is help students mind for what matters to them. Right, right. Right, what matters to them, they're told by school, is things like grades, right. you know, what subject it is, really what the adults have selected exactly. to be important for them. And right. so this is an interesting uh, point in time. I think we found ourselves um, in, in this evaluation of the purpose of education, mm -hmm. in fact, and its role in exact, exacting from a child or helping to direct a child to sure. something beyond a set of numbers on a report card. Right. Um, it doesn't work real well that way. Yeah, and so one thing that we've talked about um, kind of on my end at the higher education level is, um, you know, why is there so much emphasis on grades? Uh, you know, students come in and they have to have the A, they right. have to have the 100% on the test. Um, you see this, you can always tell the students who, when they make an F or a D, who have the meltdown because there's so much emphasis on making the grade that we lose self of. Yeah, you may have made a C in the class, but if you learn so much, that's true learning. Yep. You just made a C because of the standardized test. Yep. But so much emphasis is placed on all these other things that we never truly developed a full person, a holistic person, which I think college is a part of that process, but yes. needs to be more in depth. And which speaks back to diversity and inclusion. How do, you, how do you learn about your authentic self beyond grades, beyond your identities, beyond kind of your major, beyond kind of what you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, and I don't know what it is about, again, this point in time, like I grew up in the late 70s, early 80s, and I don't... Um, remember being directed to thoughts about what gave me a sense of purpose or direction and but I know from the places where I consume a lot of my own education now and, and my scan of the landscape this is much more a part of the conversation so I don't really know what's brought us to this point is that uh, there's um, uh, more ennui because of social media like everybody feels more disconnected thus we're talking about it and seeking it more or that former religion has lost some of its hold in our communities now, it's just a really interesting um, element of why this seems to be something we're all wondering about. 
Yeah, and I think it's um, a subset of all the things you just mentioned, social media. Uh, those foundational institutions are now becoming irrelevant. Yep. Um, not, you don't have to go sit in a classroom now to get the credit hours. I can log online to get it now. Mm-hmm. So things are shifting or society is shifting. Yep. And also people are changing. Uh, how we interact is changing. How we think is changing. Um, why do A, B, C when we can go A to C and skip out on B, right? Yep. And so I think the dynamic is changing. Our society is evolving. And so I think that's what speaks to kind of why we're having the conversations around um, the why um, and the how, but also questioning is the how needs to be the how we did it 20 years ago versus mm-hmm. now, and it's okay if not. So. Yeah, and back in those days too, again, formal religion, uh, people had somewhat of a blind allegiance to it. So right. their purpose was really, well, this is what I'm, I'm We've meant to do. Faith is, yeah. faith is sort of directing right. me that way. And the family unit right. was uh, much more concentric and tighter, you know, mm-hmm. and that's definitely yeah. been challenged by the by the new the new norms of, sure. of the day but in any event some of these uh um, queries about uh, how, how we build com- communities of belonging you know things right. that were really important to you to value levels what brought parish into connection with you um, about a year ago this time uh, listeners uh, may or may not recall but uh, we uh, had launched a board approved uh, inclusive community task force in April of 2018 and mm-hmm. uh, they began work a 20 member committee uh, uh, wondering how a parish with inclusive Episcopal community and its mission and a, a diversity statement approved by our board in 2015 could really live more fully right into those uh into those documents and so i don't even remember who connected me to you uh do you yeah so jenny brady <laughs> director of diversity at pca yeah connected us because um, i think tynetta was leaving yep um and so had yes Kenneth i think doing that, work in this space and right. so i think that's kind of where we took off from there so. yeah so we we here at parish must have spoken to no fewer than half a dozen sure. uh folks who were experts in the diversity inclusion space and it may have been our friends Preston with through tanita kanash who had uh, departed to go to a new position in Minnesota uh, who, who helped us find you. But in any event, we've appreciated you journeying with us, Absolutely. not just for a meeting, but sure. for the entirety of this last year. Uh, and you're here today uh, in early April. This will broad, uh, be published uh, and listened to sometime in May. But you're here today because we presented our task force report to the uh, to, to the board of, to the board of trustees and your expertise I think was really helpful M- many of the folks that we spoke to were doing uh, training for corporate groups or nonprofits right. you know you're living uh, in a higher education space you're receiving graduates from places right. like parish and as uh, many institutions education institutions parish included in the last two or three years uh, OU's had some challenges yeah. around uh, how to build inclusive uh, communities. So, right. uh, and the Price School of Business, mm-hmm. you're working not just in Price, but yeah. really with the diversity and inclusion offices across the broader landscape right. of the university. Tell listeners a little bit about what the day in the life of a diversity and inclusion yeah. officer uh, on a higher education campus entails. Yeah. So, I think uh, the thing to keep in mind and remember is that no one day is ever alike. <laughs> um, and so, uh, it maybe, and I think the other piece, the significance of you know working with parishes that we receive your students, so that's yeah. why it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, to be here having these conversations, um, like at the PCAs and the Trinities of the world, because we receive your students. And so it's just like, you know, when the um, college math professor comes and says, hey, students need to be learning X, Y, and Z to be prepared. It's, just, it's similar. Socially, your students need to be learning these concepts mm-hmm. so that way they're prepared. Yep. Uh, so the day in the life of a diversity officer um, is, so I report directly to the dean of the college and the dotted line, the chief diversity officer. 
And so some days it's a kind of what the wind blows, you know, as a recent with challenges mm -hmm. on social media, mm -hmm. uh, kind of filling calls from donors and uh, constituents to make them understand that we do have a plan in place. Mm -hmm. um, and that even with the best perfect plan, there's always a crisis mm -hmm. um, contingency plan in there. Yep. And so just kind of make sure putting people at ease that what you see is not representative of what the institution is. Um, so that's one piece of it. The other piece is, is student advocacy. Uh, working with students who have financial aid issues, who have um, admissions issues, who have issues with an instructor, and those are sometimes our diverse students. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a high concentration of a Chinese student population, and so sometimes there's a language barrier with accounting faculty. And so they'll come to the diversity office and try to help mitigate that between those two to make sure they understand what the requirements are for the class and make sure the professor understands, you know, how to be inclusive in their teaching to make sure that they understand. So mm -hmm. things of that nature. Then working with faculty, um, I get a lot of faculty referrals um, in terms of make sure that they don't say anything or do anything that is insensitive, but also empowering them. Right. Um, if they see something to, you know, refer <clears throat> something, but also empowering them to how do you get the best educational experience in the classroom is by being inclusive. Um, when you build your groups for group projects or when you do grading, not grading individuals because you know they're an athlete or because you know that they uh, partied all night or they're Greek, you know, mm -hmm. removing that bias. Uh, so empowering faculty to be more inclusive. And then the last piece is the community outreach, working mm -hmm. in our communities as a public flagship university. Mm -hmm. We are a public good. And so working in our minority communities and also uh, uh, underserved communities and say, hey, we're the business college, so how do we help you set up an LLC? How do we help right. you g gain capital for your business? Right so that's all part area. of the diversity yeah. office. Yeah. Um, not just race, class, or gender, but it's religious, it's geographic. Mm -hmm. um, it's also diversifying um, kind of uh, who our entrepreneurships, uh, entrepreneurs are in the mm -hmm. community and also providing resources for them as well. And then another piece, too, is some fundraising, working with our corporate partners to invest in our students, invest in our programs, scholarships, um, paying for programs and events because we're producing a employee for them one day yep. or a global citizen and for them to have the skill set is going to in the long term make them more profitable. Yeah, oversimplified. I mean, if you really want to build a community that's inclusive and has a, a sense of belonging to it, it's about the people. Right. It's about the policies yep. that you put into to place and, and, and those protocols. And it's about the place itself. Like, right. What are you what are you doing as an entity to, uh, to to communicate that and create that environment? So I know you spend a lot of time in all those tranches you described, yes. but you know, boiled up, you're training people. Right. You know, you're working on uh, creating uh, inclusive policies and practices right. and you're defining uh, the culture of the That's place uh, through through your work, but I you know I know f it's the case at OU again as it is for many institutions certainly has been a parish one of the reasons we had to launch the task force mm -hmm. is that uh, there were uh, challenges in our community around how people perceived the work right that it was agenda laden uh, it was uh, seeking to indoctrinate that right. it was uh, being more divisive than inclusive sure. in the ways that we were taking our intent to broaden the perspectives of our students and live into our diversity statement was actually having a countermanding effect. Um, so have you had some examples of, of pushback in the OU community in the area of diversity and inclusion work? I know uh, free speech zones have sure. been a big challenge right. on higher education campuses, et cetera. Yeah. What are some of the pushback that you're hearing uh, in, yeah. in your space? Yeah, so there are the, you know, there's the two polarized sides, you know, there's the the students uh, who are offended, there's uh, the faculty who are offended, there's the donors who are offended, and they're pushing, pushing the pressure. We need more inclusiveness. We need more inclusive policies. Um, and then there are the kind of the, the bystanders, those who don't want to be involved or engaged. Uh, we don't really have an issue. We're just here to learn and move around. Um, and then there's the, the violators or the offenders, if you will, who 
um, have the free speech, but who don't understand the free speech comes with kind of rights and responsibilities, mm-hmm. and you have to be very careful in what you say and how you say it because it has consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I think I've encountered all different groups. Um, the, the offenders generally um, are fear what they don't know, mm-hmm. and so there's a challenge of, oh, we're gonna, here's another mandate that I have to do in my classroom right. if I'm a faculty. Here's another training I have to go to. Um, that's just put on me. Uh, here's a, another rule I have to follow. And so I think a lot of uh, the work that I do and with the administration is couching in public relations on here is what DNI looks for at the university. Here's what it's going to look like. It's not what you think it is. Here is a comprehensive plan uh, to make sure that your voice is included in that, uh, whether identity you hold true uh, mm-hmm. is voiced or not. But also, it's not just another thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And we want to create an environment that even you, even as a person who doesn't want to be fully engaged in, can benefit from. Right. And so I think that's the piece is making sure that people understand uh, the things that they don't understand up front before we take them too fast too soon. Yep. And we and ministering to your to your preacher background, sure. right, ministering to this broad spectrum of constituents has, I think, become the central challenge right. for those of us that believe doing this work is important for kids that are going to, again, to quote our mission statement, right. impact the complex global society for right. good in the next 25 to 50 years, right? Yeah. The, uh, the, the rationale for this is, is strong, but you've got constituents who don't see uh, eye to eye right. on whether it's necessary or how it should be done. And I think we at Parish would own the fact that some of the ways we tried to do this work initially didn't create room and space mm-hmm. for folks to safely articulate where and when they were discomforted with the work that we were doing, where their perspective may have differed from right. those that were offering the workshops and trainings and right. seminars. So, you know, I would say um, we're a lot smarter as an administration right. how to go about this work, but we're also cognizant of the fact that as we move forward with it, we're never going to have broad unanimity sure. and consensus right. that this should be done right. in the schoolhouse. Because yeah. we hear that all the time. Right. Reading, writing, reading, writing, arithmetic. Right. Why are we doing diversion and inclusion? Right. Yeah, right. Uh, and I think if we ever got to a point of just everybody is completely 100% on all, then that would be the utopia, and then we wouldn't need the we diversity, need <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Um, but at one time, they were like, well... If it's reading, writing, arithmetic, then why do we have athletics now? Then yep. why do we have student life now? Why do we yep. have um, SGA and things of that nature? Again, because we're trying to focus on that whole student, that holistic approach. And so I think that is kind of where we find the kind of our, our why is that we don't want a parish student to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want any student to leave from our presence not prepared yep. for what they're going to encounter because the world has changed, business change, engineering change. Um, things that we did 30 years ago we don't do now and so that's why we update our textbooks every year so why not update kind of our focus on that whole student when they leave so that way they're prepared yeah and we outlined this the 20 person task force uh, in their in their report which uh, talks about uh, we are parish and creating a culture of belonging here uh, and you enumerated that beautifully to the board this this morning essentially uh, three real strong logical head-based rationales for doing this work you know first of all if we're a preparatory school colleges and universities OU right. being a case in point right. you can talk about the freshman yeah. seminar every uh, price school a business student has to take uh, colleges universities are looking for uh, students that are ready to forward into these discussions right. and come to be civil 
uh, in participants in conversations about race and diversity, uh, the world of work that they're all entering, and you mentioned your interfaces with the world of work. Uh, all the top Fortune 500 companies right. are uh, ex uh, man, uh, making uh, inclusive culture part of their uh, strategic orientation and are training fa uh, their employees therein. And we know the demographic of Dallas and Texas mm -hmm. and the United States is browning shifting. and becoming more global and right. shifting. So that's the complex global society. Our, if our kids are going to be the, the difference makers in those environments, uh, they, they need to be prepared to, to do this as much as you mentioned this morning. Right. They are to, you know, put two and two together to, to make uh, to, to make to make four. So when you think about uh, the, the readiness that you've talked about for our kids to come to OU or any college or university and be prepared for this, talk about the freshman uh, right. seminar, for example. What is it that you're asking those right. students to do when they arrive on the OU campus? Yeah, so um, mandatory freshmen, all freshmen, um, no one is exempt from it. It's so serious that you, you cannot enroll, you cannot progress unless you complete the training. That's how intentional it is, and we're not the only ones. Um, so UT Austin is going to be rolling out there soon, I believe. Uh, A&M, so there's some variation of it somewhere. Mm -hmm. Whether it's mandatory or not, I think remains to be seen. It just depends on the institution. Mm -hmm. um, and so what they encounter is, first, they'll know their authentic self. Who are you? What identities do you hold? Um, it's college, and so you're not, um, you're on your way to adulting, adulthood, and so you can express who you are and without, you know, someone telling you through mm -hmm. the K-12 system or uh, parents telling you you're, you're on the board. I says adult, I tell them all the time, you're not adults yet, you're on your way to it. Uh, so your authentic self is that first piece. And then what does difference? What does difference look like? Um, and you may have thought that you understood difference. You understand race, class, and gender, but there's so much more to it. Mm -hmm. So understanding that level. And then the last piece is communication and interacting. Um, am I communication? Am I bias? Microaggression, uh, you know, those insensitive jokes and mm -hmm. those topics, how to navigate communication and listening, active listening skills, because then that speaks to really understanding a person. And so between those three areas, there's intensive kind of talking and training. And, and really, it's a skill set, a tool set to equip a person to navigate college life as they go into a classroom full of 200 and they see somebody that looks like them. And is that semester generally? Yes, yeah, per semester. Semester-based. Yeah, semester-based. Uh, taught by a variety of right. you and other professors who've right. been trained to, to, exactly. teach, to teach the, the seminars. Exactly. Yeah. And then um, so our faculty and staff, new hires, they go through some diversity training up mm -hmm. front as well. And then another layer that we had in the business college, so you go through your freshman training in the business college we have that is certified through our regions is a passport to success. Um, you do some globalization seminars where you talk through uh, in business, what does business diversity look like? Um, if you're going to be a future manager, CEO, um, birthing order is a, a type of diversity. How do you motivate employees who are firstborn versus employees who are the babies of the family, mm -hmm. birthing order, and where they were born dictates how they do certain things. And so that's just that's just being a good manager and how to motivate employees. Right. And so so much is always put on race or class or gender when you talk about diversity, but it's so much more than that. And going deeper than that, then you really understand that there's actually uh, things that you want to know to be a good person, to be a good manager or CEO, to help you live a full life. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and, and speaking of those employee pieces, that's a, a nice segue to just – uh, again, when you talk to the folks at uh, ENY or you right. talk to other uh, global titan, business titans, uh, what are they telling you all about the people that you're sending right. them as employees just as you are telling us, here's what we need exactly. from the folks that are coming to hit our campus at OU? What are, what are the employees telling you? Yeah, so here's what we've heard is um, academics are great. You know, obviously you want a 4.0 in accounting because we're going to hire accountants, yeah. right? Um and we want that. And they need to be socially engaged, Greek mm -hmm. life, student life, and all that. That's great, too. But they need to be cultural competent. 
meaning they need to understand culture and they need to have the inclusiveness skill set. Just like we produce leaders to lead and to manage well, they need to have that inclusion piece. Um, and Ken Boyer, who's at EY, he's um, tweeted this out. He's a great colleague, great partner, and said that he leads all the diversity inclusiveness recruiting for EY. So he places uh, new recruits and interns across mm -hmm. the country. And he has said to our students, EY will not hire another person unless they have, can demonstrate inclusive leadership skill set, period. So what that means is that, yeah, I'm a 4.0 in accounting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm involved in Greek life and SGA and all that. I've got to go to these seminars. And I have to have, not even really fully understand it, but at least have some working knowledge of inclusion and mm -hmm. inclusiveness skill set. Yep. Because employers are shifting that way. Yeah. And so if they're shifting and telling us they need it, then we've got to prepare them or they won't hire our graduates. And if they don't hire our graduates and our rankings go down, our rankings go down, then we don't make money at the end of the day and we don't have produced graduates. And so likewise, the pipeline, uh, we're at the K-12, through the private schools and the ISD saying, listen, these are concepts that need to be exposed to to prepare them for the next level. Yeah. And then we go deeper in college and the higher education. And then once they get to their workplace, um, some are teaching it now and some are taking it even further because it's that's the pipeline that we're seeking to create. So. Yeah, and I think um, our work here at Parish we've been involved with since you know, 20, 2013 in earnest and then the diversity statement uh, 2015. But you and I both know that the world between 2015 and sure. really to the present moment uh, got a lot more complicated yeah. to do this work, right? There were everything from... Uh, police uh, shootings and uh, issues of, of, of racial profiling or insensitivity there, at least perceived. There was right. an anthem, anthem protests. Yeah. There was a contentious uh, a presidential uh, election. Yeah. There's been much put in front of all of us in the last uh, two and a half, three years, right. uh, which has created a, 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 a domestic uh, context mm -hmm. of uh, sensitivity, fear, and anxiety sure. around these types of conversations. And so I think what a lot of our institutions have uh, have, have encountered um, are not people questioning so much the should these conversations be happening, but how are they being held, right. whose voices are predominating, whose philosophies or viewpoints are seemingly winning the day. Right. So a lot of the trick for us as practitioners sure. is to make sure that the formats open up grounds for dialogue. Right. And, right. and 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 atmospheres of respect right. and and honoring different perspectives right. and I know that's a place that we need to do better sure. I don't know what you found yeah. in terms of your work at, at OU yeah absolutely um, we never win when um, we're just fussing and fighting and then one has to be right yes we can still coexist in fellowship and be in community with varying opinions uh, but somewhere along the way we stop dialoguing and then one person has to be right and then we and terminate the relationship because they don't agree with us right or one side feels finger wagged right out, right like right. here's the way it should be and right. this is why this is right uh on on, on challenging issues uh immigration being Absolutely. the one in the moment or yeah. what have you right and so we get into these uh, sort of fractious position right. establishing arguments right and there's no attempt to um recognize a middle ground exactly or at even a minimum honor that another perspective or opinion right. can exist on said topic. And, right. and we've, you and I have just enumerated in the last 25 minutes, we've got to do better on that as yes. educators and we've got to have our kids forward into those sometimes right. discomforting conversations Absolutely. and persist through them right. uh, if they're gonna be uh, collaborative leaders in the future, not essentially intractable leaders. Right. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, that's not what I wanna create. Right. Absolutely, and at minimal, we just need good active listeners active engagers and active to seek to understand varying opinions. Um, any business, business, successful business leader I've met um, understands kind of what the negative people are saying, uh, what position they hold, and also has a position that they own 
with based in fact yes uh, to make their decisions and just because we have varying opinions doesn't mean that we cannot coexist together we cannot listen to each other and i think that's that's kind of the philosophy of my diversity work is i just want to produce good listeners good engagers um, and good communicators because at some point your identity and your comfort level and your understandings will come out in that but most of all we don't talk unless we're fussing and fighting and arguing with each other after the fact correct let's engage before and understand what it means to be a black male um, and walk in my shoes you may never know but at least you understand and then we're in fellowship enough to where when you see an unarmed black man right wrong or indifferent or whatever the context is you have a point of reference to come and say well what does it mean to be you mm-hmm. when i see this instead yep. of just having your opinion of that um, all lives matter versus black lives matter blue lives matter and all that dynamic yeah you know so it, it gives you kind of that empathy um, to understand what another is going through, even though you may never experience it. Yeah, all those arguments about yeah. semantics are just right. so are, are just so superficial that it's difficult to, to get to the uh, true connection and right. uh, and trust that comes from uh, from the exchange of, of stories. So we, we really appreciate the work you've done with us uh, th- this uh, this last year, and uh, wish you uh, all the best as the school year concludes That's up uh, up in Norman. And uh, thanks for being on the From Angle podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Dave. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. Join me for my next episode when I will talk with Darla Whitaker, the Senior Vice President for Human Resources at Texas Instruments. Darla will provide insights for us on the changing world of work in this complex global society. Until then, thank you for joining me the From My Angle podcast.